but I'm appreciative of the fact that he invited me to come and be with you today to open God's word with you. You know, uh, are you guys still in 2 Kings? I know he's been doing a series in 2 Kings. Is that right? 1 Kings. Oh, 1 Kings. Okay. Well, I, I didn't want to come in and walk on his, um, his series, so uh, I thought I'd think a little bit about what it was I wanted to come and open God's word about and talk to you about today. And sometimes a pastor will select a topic that uh, is based on things that are going on in the flock. And I'm not with the flock every week, so I don't know what all's going on with you except some illnesses and, and some babies being born and those kinds of things. Uh, sometimes a pastor will, his, his teacher side in him will just say, oh, I want to do a series on such and such a book or such and such a topic, and, and he'll do that. Uh, but sometimes what he'll do is he'll look at his own life and realize he's struggling with a particular thing, and he'll say, well, I'm going to go preach on that. So I hope you'll forgive me today if I'm preaching more to myself than to you. But uh, that's exactly what I'm going to try and do today. Uh, as you probably see in your, in your bulletin, contentment. I guess you can look up there and see what it says, huh? Contentment. What is contentment? We're going to look at that today. And you say, well, how, how can you be struggling in your contentment? Well, I don't mind telling you that... Professional contentment has been an issue for me for a while. In fact, it was probably a, an issue for me even a little bit before I met you all a couple years ago. Now, I stepped away from my last full-time ministry for what I thought were good, logical, even noble reasons. I believe God was calling me to another work, maybe even to another place. And then he brought Laura Lee and I into relationship with First Baptist Church of Cambria. And, oh, but we were greatly blessed by that. In fact, I'll confess, my, my sense of contentment was not challenged at all while we were here with you guys. <laughs> but as you know, that was a temporary assignment. We came here to just help you be in God's word on a regular basis while God was calling and preparing his man to come lead this congregation. And Pastor Josh is that guy. So when Pastor Josh was finally called to be your pastor, uh, we moved on to whatever God had for us. And thus began my problem with professional contentment because he hasn't told me what it is exactly that he wants for us yet. Contentment with what I'm doing, uh, whether or not to retire. Uh, my wife doesn't like me to use that word. Um, and it's not a biblical word. Uh, there's no place that I know of in, in Scripture where it says that you shall retire. It just says you shall stop getting paid for what you do. <laughs> and then that's okay. But I figure I'm going to be involved in ministry until I quit breathing. But I just have a question about where I'm going to do it. So we thought maybe he was going to relocate us somewhere else, like maybe somewhere on the central coast. <laughs> yeah, we already told him exactly where we'd like to be, but uh, it's still his call. You know, these are serious things for us. But part of the problem with this contentment thing is that the process of being content involves waiting. And I'm just not very good at that. I never have been good at waiting. But in illustrating how difficult it can be for a man to be content, Rabbi Harold Kushner tells this story. He says, A bright young Stanford pre-med sophomore was given a trip to the Far East by his parents as a reward 
for his exemplary grades. Now, while on this trip, the young man met a religious guru who challenged his plans to become a doctor. You're poisoning your soul with your success orientation. You study hard just to outperform your best friends. You plan to marry, not to find a life partner, but to win the girl your friends want for you. Well, give it up. Come join us and learn to share and love instead of always striving for more. Sounds like the hippie generation of my time. But after four hard years of high school and two hard years of college, the young man was really ripe to hear that kind of message. So he wrote his parents a letter and told them he wasn't coming home. He was dropping out of school to live in an ashram. Six months later, his parents got this letter. Dear Mom and Dad, I want to tell you how happy and peaceful I am. Here, there is no competing, no hustling, no trying to get ahead. We're all equal and we all share. This way of life is so much in harmony with the inner essence of my soul that in only six months I've become the number two disciple in the entire ashram. And I think I've got a shot at making number one by June. Now, I have to admit, I, have, I find it kind of easy to identify with that poor misguided student. Uh, uh, he was blind to the idea or his own inability to rest, to cease striving, and be content. And I would guess at one time or another, probably all of us in this room have made some kind of resolution to be done with envy or jealousy are striving, and then found ourselves later working like crazy to be more content than everyone else we know. But the story is told of an outrageously rich businessman who came upon a fisherman one day, and the fisherman had his poles out of the water, up on the beach, just soaking up the beauty of a coastal sunset. I think it was right down here on Exotic Beach. The businessman said, why aren't you out there fishing? And the fisherman says, well, I... I've caught all the fish I need for today. Well, why don't you catch some more and sell them for a profit? You could buy yourself a boat, hire some more fishermen, expand your business, make yourself rich like me. Then you could afford to just sit around by the ocean and enjoy life. And the fisherman looked up at him and said, but sir, I I am just sitting by the ocean enjoying life. And we can laugh at this story, but Probably some of us have been there, caught up in our own misguided attempts to find peace and contentment by working ourselves to death. So I want to I start out by, today by talking about contentment and the fact that it is, it's found and lost. Now as a culture, it seems that we've, we've lost the ability or, or maybe just forgotten how to be genuinely grateful, thankful, For anything. We've developed this uh, insidious entitlement mentality in our culture. The world owes me. I've earned it. I I deserve it. Ingratitude and discontent are some of the ugliest symptoms of the sinful pride of humanity. And if we're honest with ourselves, we're probably all guilty of it from time to time. Now, we set aside holidays for ourselves, like Memorial Day, to 
remember the sacrifices of those who gave their lives for our way of life and, and to honor those who are currently serving us. And we have Independence Day to remember the, the sacrifices of life, liberty, and fortune of our forefathers that they gave to establish this nation as a free country, not bound by tyranny. And while some are truly grateful and others give lip service to it, it seems most people today just demand their paid day off so they can celebrate a long weekend of barbecue and whatever else it is that makes them happy. I often wonder how many people actually are truly grateful on the big one, Thanksgiving Day. It's a day that we have set aside nationally to remember to be thankful to God for his providential provision, right? That's the way I understand it. Right? Okay. But I don't know how many people truly express Thanksgiving that day. They're more focused on, on the turkey and, and, and all the side dishes that go with it and the fact that family's together and everybody's happy. But sometimes we forget the thankful part. Or we forget who to be thankful to. Our, help, our technology has also helped create an environment that, that fosters discontent. Now, a late night comedian a few years ago uh, did a, a skit about this on one of the late night shows. And I don't remember which one. But I'm going to borrow some of his thoughts for a minute. But his first example of how technology has fostered discontent was your telephone. <laughs> How many of you just looked down at your pocket <laughs> to check and see if it was turned off? Well, most of us probably did. But do you remember when phones were attached to a wall? Uh-huh. And there was a, a curly... No, <laughs> some young guys here going, huh? No. <laughs> and there was a curly Q cord that went to a handset. And you actually had to hold this thing up to your face to talk or to listen to who you were talking to. And then about making a call. We have to use a rotary dial. You remember those? Uh-huh. Yeah, we make a series of electrical sparks to, to program in a number that we're going to contact. And we hated the guys that had zeros in their number. Right? And waiting for a connection. Uh, way back in the day, some other person would answer the phone and make the connection for you. Nowadays, we, we, we take our phone and we go, oh, come on! Ten seconds. And I'm thinking, oh, come on, give it a break. It's sending a signal into space and it has to come back. Give it a second, will you? Traveling. Traveling is another place where we, we have become entitled and discontent. And we're flying back east uh, at the end of this next week, uh, so I, I'm going to try real hard not to be this way. But just listen to almost anyone who's made a trip, say, from New York to Los Angeles, and listen to their account of their trip, a trip that used to take a couple of years. And with births and deaths, by the time they got from New York to California, they were a totally different group than they were when they left. Now it's a five-hour trip by airplane. But listen, little listen to him. Our boarding took an extra 20 minutes. And then we just sat there at the gate for another 20. 
And when they finally released us from the gate, we went out and sat on the tarmac in line for 20 more minutes. We wasted a whole hour. And then you think back of those two years it used to take. And the fact that you had two kids that you didn't have when you left New York. <laughs> and you lost your, grand, your grandparents on the way. It's hard to stay contented these days in this culture. There's advertisers on TV constantly telling you, you could have this new car. In fact, give one for Christmas and put a big bow on it. Now, I'm telling you, if any of you guys want to give me a new Lexus for Christmas, I'm open to the idea. <laughs> but we see all kinds of reminders on the Internet, uh, social media, and all kinds of other places that physically we're just not one of the beautiful people, are we? But we'd like to be. Emotionally, our lives are filled with stress. They're filled with hard work. <laughs> They're filled with looking for work. Uh, diapers to change, bills to pay. But we wish we weren't under stress. Materially, we don't think we're ever going to move on up to the east side. Or you could read that central coast. <laughs> but we sure wish we could, don't we? And spiritually, then, we start to feel guilty about not being satisfied physically or emotionally or materially. And it all becomes kind of a vicious cycle. Now, I'm sure we all know what I'm talking about. But I'm not here to recite or rehearse the evidence of our discontent just to make us feel bad. But I want us to acknowledge that we struggle with this. I acknowledge that I struggle with it but we need to be pointed toward true contentment. Discovering what it means to be content and how to get there, which, of course, begs the question, okay, first of all, what is contentment? And the answer I want to give you is that it's several things. First of all, contentment is found in God's providence. If we don't believe in God's sovereignty in our lives or in his providential leadership, we're never going to be content with our lives. We're never going to be satisfied. Whether the times are, in our estimation, good or bad, God is the one who is in control of the workings of the universe. Amen? The one secret to contentment is to never forget that truth, that God is the one that's in control. It's his plan that the universe is working out, not mine. Sometimes I remember to be really thankful that I don't have the plan that's being worked out because I really would have messed things up by now. Philippians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13 is our foundational scripture for this morning. Let me read it with you. For I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In every and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need, that I can do all things through him who strengthens me. The Apostle Paul had come to understand that on, on I believe it was his third missionary journey, after beatings, imprisonment, shipwreck, he was told by the Holy Spirit not to go to one place, but to go to another. All these seeming calamities and catastrophes of all kinds. 
But in hindsight, the Lord's will was being done and his word was clearly being spread where he wanted it to be spread. Trust him for provision and direction. He tells us where to go and he gives us what we need to get there. Secondly, we have to recognize that contentment is a learned behavior. And if you're just waiting for contentment to kick in in your life, don't hold your breath while you're doing it because that ship has already sailed. We lost our contentment when Adam and Eve lost theirs in Eden. Like Paul, we need to learn to be content. Like babies need to learn to walk. And contentment is such an unnatural condition for us that the only way we can learn it is by supernatural grace. Help me here. What is it you have to do to learn a new skill or a new behavior? Practice, practice, practice. Along with your spouse or a a close accountability partner or maybe even your small Bible study group, you have to learn how to resist in the power of the Spirit the discontentment of our age that we're surrounded with. Otherwise, you'll end up being swept up by it and you're going to live an agitated life. And none of us need an agitated life. Thirdly, contentment is not dependent on our circumstances. We just read Paul said, in in any and all circumstances, I have found and learned how to be content. If you can find yourself content in some circumstances, but in others not so much, It's just not happening for you, folks. (laughs) Paul said he had learned to be content regardless of the circumstances, even while in jail. And the same Holy Spirit that indwelt him indwelt you if you are a believer. Peace and self-control, the same fruits of the Spirit that were manifest in his life, can be manifest in our lives if we let them. Next time you're feeling a little less content, look around. First of all, it's pretty easy to find somebody who's got it worse than you do, right? But odds are almost 100% that you feeling discontent will have something to do with your circumstances or your surroundings. Or when you desire something to be bigger or faster or newer or more comfortable, different than it is. Remember this truth. If you are not content in challenging circumstances, it means the contentment that you think you feel in other circumstances is not contentment at all. It is simply your satisfaction that things are momentarily the way you think they should be, which is not contentment at all. It just means you're getting your way. Hmm. (laughs) And all of us probably, whoops, had picture of our little kids wanting their own way. And yet, sometimes we, God looks at us and sees exactly the same picture. Fourthly, contentment is a state of being, not a state of doing. When you think about it, our flesh seems to only really be content when we're doing something. Or buying, or achieving, or surpassing, or accumulating And the problem is, activities like that must, by definition, have an end. And when they do, so does our contentment. 
Just being, however, does not end. It's not tied to activity. Paul said he had learned to be content, not to do contentment. I hope we can all see the difference there. Fifthly, contentment is based on the riches of God in Christ. God created us to be content in our knowledge of him. Our knowledge of him and the world that he provided for us. Now the evidence in Genesis suggests that our first parents, Adam and Eve, were just that. But when Satan tempted them with the possibility that they could become more than they were created to be, they could become as wise as God, knowing good and evil. Suddenly just being plain old content human beings wasn't enough anymore. And we've been in search of contentment ever since. Maybe St. Augustine had it exactly right. He said, you have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. Contentment is found only in God. Real contentment comes only when we reconnect with God through his son, Jesus. Now, that may sound like another religious platitude to you, but it, it, it isn't. It's the very truth of God and the basis for our living as contented people. Now, it gets us back into that pre-fall state in Eden. Adam and Eve had everything they needed, all supplied by their father, God. Now, it's pretty simple, really. The Bible tells us that everything that we need for our journey from earth to heaven will be supplied by him pretty easy to forget that didn't it everything we need for our journey from here to heaven he will provide so whatever we feel discontented about is probably not something that we need to make it on that journey there's a story about a king who had a some kind of serious medical condition and a worldly wise man of uh, his acquaintance advised him that he would be cured if he could find a man and wear the shirt of a man that was truly contented. So he, he sent his men out into the villages and to the countryside looking for that kind of contented man, wanted to bring his shirt back to the king. Well, eventually they finally found the man, but there was a problem. He had no possessions, not even a shirt. There's nothing wrong with possessing things, with having things. There's, no, there's nothing wrong with having money, being wealthy by itself. But there is something wrong when we can't be content without the things or without the money. We, we hear that old thing about money can't buy happiness, right? Things don't buy happiness. <laughs> Somebody back there is thinking, I can hear it. Sure like to try, though. (laughs) It's kind of like, oh, if I could just win the lottery. But if our lives are just momentary attempts at happiness with no real understanding or expectation of eternity, contentment will be elusive and fleeting. So what are the obstacles, then, to contentment? We've talked about some of them. And there are so many of them 
that we really don't have time to explore a lot of them, but I do want to focus on a few. If you're readers and happen to have read Andy Stanley's book, Enemies of the Heart, you might recognize a few of these. Greed is probably the biggest obstacle to a content heart. And, and, and you may be sitting there thinking, yeah, well, I'm not greedy. <laughs> well, you may not realize it, but you might be. Hebrews 13, verses 5 to 6 tells us this. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? How many, is, how many of us have thought, if I could only win the lottery? <laughs> of course, the problem is I have to play it first. But I've thought it. If I only had a little more money, a little less debt, a little more stuff, a little bit newer stuff, if the words, the words if only... <laughs> are huge contentment killers. In our minds, we know the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, right? But it's also an empty love because it will never satisfy. It just breeds more discontent. That's why Scripture says it's so hard for a rich man to enter his kingdom because he's focused on being a rich man, staying that way, and getting richer. Again, Paul specifically mentions that he's learned to be content with little or with a lot. He experienced both. But he appreciated times of plenty but didn't let it rob him of, of the joy and the peace that there is in Christ. And yet so many folks today point to poverty as a reason for their discontent. Another contentment killer is envy or jealousy. Careful now, Pastor, you're starting to meddle a little bit. Uh, being greedy for what others have that you do not. That's what envy and jealousy is. It's a desire to keep up with the Joneses. And that amounts to dissatisfaction or discontent with what God has provided for you. Ooh, now we have to be careful now. As you might expect, there's a good reason why God included not coveting in his top ten rules. Covetousness breeds selfishness and sin and envy and greed. And they've all done significant damage to us as a people. And they never lead to better things. They only lead to ruin. Number three. Obstacle number three is succumbing to our national epidemic of being entitled. The world owes you something. And we get angry when we don't get our way. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 to 8. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of the world. But if we have food and clothing... With these, we will be content. And yet we strive so much for whatever. Anger or entitlement is, is one obstacle that I think may be particularly tough 
for Christians to deal with. It manifests itself sometimes as self-righteousness and uh, a holier-than-thou attitude and looking down our noses at people. We don't want to be like that. Sorry, I guess that was a little bit of an indictment, wasn't it? My prayer for all of us is that we will let God speak to our hearts and help us seek and find contentment where it's found, and that is where? In him. Well, as you like to do, or you know I like to do, I like to do a, a so what? What do I do with this? How do I learn contentment? And there are a couple of ways that we can learn it. First one is through giving. Okay, I knew we'd get around to my wallet sooner or later. Well, that's not exactly where I'm going. We all know the feelings of of joy and peace and satisfaction when we give financially or we volunteer our time to someone in need or someone who is hurting. At least I hope we all know that. Because if, if you don't know that joy and that peace that comes from giving that way, You're missing out on a huge blessing from the Lord. But giving of our time and energy and resources just has a way of adjusting our priorities and reminding us of how blessed we are. I remember remember the feeling myself, but I remember hearing my wife express that so much when we came back from our first trip to Ukraine 20 years ago, as a matter of fact. You know, and... We were so excited about it. We were living in a home we'd just gotten about five years before, and we were fixing it up and doing all that stuff. And yet after being over with those folks who lived in what appeared to us to be such abject poverty, and yet seeing joy in their heart simply because they knew the Lord. Well, we came back here, and our house didn't mean near as much to us anymore. Oh, we were grateful that we have it. But it, it somehow moved down the priority list of things. We, we realized we could be happy in, in an apartment somewhere if that's what the Lord wanted for us. Or maybe in a, a house like one of those folks live in with no running water. It adjusts your priorities in life. The more we give, the more we realize that stuff isn't all that important in our lives. The second way to learn contentment is through thankfulness. How often do we really take time to stop and count our blessings? We sing about it. How often do we dwell on the good things? How often do we tell our spouse how much we appreciate him or her? Or do we thank God for the home that he's provided for us? Or the fact that we have a job? Or even a car that gets us around? Are we truly thankful for those things, those things that we have? How often do we thank the Lord for providing those things for us? Once a year, maybe? Along with the turkey and the stuffing and all that stuff? I don't really think it's an accident that we have that kind of a national holiday for giving thanks just a short time before we celebrate the birth of our Savior. It gives us a chance to reflect on what we're thankful for 
and then in a few weeks to be thankful for who we're thankful for. Uh, maybe we've just become pretty bad at expressing our appreciation in general. But the more we thank God for the good, the easier it will be to thank him when things aren't so good. Have you done that in your life? I have. <laughs> Unfortunately, a lot of times we do that 2020 hindsight type of thank thanking, don't we? Oh, Lord, I, now I see the value in what you just brought me through. But if we are thankful for the good things, we can be more thankful for the not so good. The more we look to him and the more we trust him and exercise faith in his plan and in his sovereignty, the easier it will be to be content in him. The greatest way to learn contentment is to learn to trust in God, to trust his plan for us. That's faith. Because he doesn't tell us in advance, here's what I'm going to do with you. He just says, trust me, and I'll lead you there. But we get a chance to, to know what it means where it says he works all things for good in Romans 8.28. Now, those of you who were in the study this morning in Sunday school time, when we talked about that in Psalm 22, that's one of the things that our group saw there. He has a plan for our welfare, not for evil. Jeremiah 9.11, 29.11. He has a plan. Are we going to trust him with that plan? Ultimately, contentment is the outworking of our faith. The closer we are to him, the more we'll trust him, and the less we'll be bothered by our circumstances. He's holding us by the hand if we let him. Let me encourage you to take a look sometime at the book of Habakkuk. Uh, my pastor at home has been going through a series on the book of Habakkuk. It's literally a conversation between man and God. And the prophet has a couple of questions. And you can read that complaints. <laughs> he's not happy with the way God's running things right now. And, and he's telling God about it. And he's answered in Habakkuk 2.4. The righteous shall live by what? Faith. And I think you'll find that book enlightening. So let me just close this by asking us all a question. And I'm asking me this question as much as anything, and I have been for a while. Are we quietly listening and watching for his leading in our lives? And are we content to let him lead? It's easy for us to want to elbow him out of the driver's seat and say, Thanks, Lord, for getting me this far. I can take it from here. Are we going to let him continue to lead? Would you pray with me? Lord, sometimes discontent comes out of abundance. Abundance.